Shachtan, an Indo Askelige. Time in Mon Irok the Yen of Chacht Erachor, Agasuligum, a Makan Shaw, Gurfeder Echor, Inuik Kart, Len of Winterfein. Skilti, Fis, Turmi. Tashe Dochretche, Nach Vetok, Ara, Igornamion, and Kestian Echo. Vien Talam again Omgrev, Orkar Nrachtum. Find us on all the usual podcast platforms. On this week's Big Tech Show, you might not think it could happen to you, but our guest this week explains how a significant number of Irish people may be falling victim to romance frauds online. Victims can feel a misplaced sense of shame. People can blame themselves. They feel embarrassed. And so they don't want to tell family, friends. They don't want to report it to the police. In some cases, of course, the victims are already in relationships. They're married. They have an extra reason to keep that quiet. The Big Tech Show, available on all podcast platforms. Platforms. Imagine getting a birthday card from your loved one and the message reads, This is the 7,560th day that I've woken up beside you. Now your heart might skip a beat because you would 100% feel very, very loved indeed. And so today on the Indo Daily, we're talking about a couple who wrote messages just like that one. We're talking about Patrick and Elizabeth Larkin, a couple who married in the 1960s, had a very happy marriage, traveled the world together, had lots of friends. But there were also a couple who chose to die together. And their relative, David Orr, joins me today to tell their story. David Orr, you're a journalist by trade and you wrote an incredibly moving piece about Patrick and Elizabeth Larkin for the Sunday Independence Life magazine last November. Um, You started the piece um, talking about how it was one chilly day in March and neighbours knocked in on the door of the Larkins. And I might let you take it from there, if you can, David. Yes, one, one evening in March 2020, um, there was a knock on the door of my uh, cousin's house in Dunleary, uh, in a, a cul-de-sac off the main street of Dunleary. And it was their neighbour who said, uh, look, I've got some food that, that we don't need. We're going away for a, a few days. And I thought, you know, you, you might like it. And... Patrick, uh, who was standing there in the doorway talking to the neighbor, said, actually, you know, no, we're going away ourselves. So, uh, so no, thank you. And the neighbor expressed interest and said, where are you off to? Patrick just said, we're going to see the world. And, you know, he, he was in his late eighties and, uh, his wife, his wife, uh, Elizabeth was 80. So it, it probably seemed a little bit of a strange thing, yeah, given their age. 
And so David, Patrick and Elizabeth, now they would have been keen travellers all their life. You know, they would have gone skiing in uh, Austria, um, trekked around the world. So it probably wasn't that unusual uh, that they might be going off on a trip. But can you tell us what followed that? Well, the neighbour probably, you know, wished them... Uh, good luck, bon voyage, and thought maybe, yeah, they were going on on one of their trips. As you say, they they used to go walking um, in in Austria and skiing in Italy, and they were they were doing this right up in into their um, senior years, and that was that was more or less that. But the neighbor did notice that. That night, unusually, the the lights weren't on because they were they were usually at, when they were at home they they were in and they had you know it was a small cottage and you could see the lights from from the street and he noticed that 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 they weren't on and the following day he he got a handwritten note in the in the post and it it said basically that. Um, We've, uh, by the time you've got this, we'll be dead. Um, We've decided to take our lives. And it was signed Patrick and Elizabeth. This was obviously a huge shock to the neighbor, having just talked to Patrick the night before. And, you know, he rang, he, he ran out and banged on the door. Um, of their cottage and there was no answer. And that's when he called the, the Gardi. Uh, Garda came around then and, you know, got entry to the to the house and a doctor was called, yeah. And, and the, you know, the, their bodies were sure enough found inside. I mean, it is it is extraordinary to think that this was premeditated, which it was. Um, and you actually stated in your article, David, that, um, and I'm just going to quote you here, if I can't recall them openly talking of suicide, they had certainly made it clear that they would never end up senile and incapacitated in an old people's home. Now, whatever people's views are on the right to die, um, what this couple did must have come as a shock for for all their nearest and dearest. I mean, you live in France and and you got a call out of the blue. Is that right? Yes, I got a call out of the blue. And, you know, they'd sent several notes to some retired couple who lived across the across the road and who had spare keys to the cottage. They also got a note. um, And and so to a couple of relatives based in Dublin and Something I didn't mention in the article, but which is a sort of strange postscript, there was CCTV footage of from a camera up in the main street outside the pub at the top of their road, which actually showed, and this was seen at the inquest afterwards, actually showed my cousin Patrick walking up the street with a couple with some letters in his hand, and then a short while later coming back with yeah, no with his empty hands and and those were their goodbyes such, such as they were they were very short notes um saying what they what they were doing but i thought that was just rather a bit eerie the fact that yeah you could see patrick coming back having having posted the notes which the neighbors and the relatives got the next day and i got a call as you say yeah very uh, it must have been 
the same day or the next day, I can't remember exactly, but telling me what had happened. And I was obviously, uh, I, I was devastated because I was quite, I was close to them, you know, but I wasn't hugely surprised. It was always clear, even though I can't remember Patrick ever saying anything specifically to me or Elizabeth saying, oh, you know, we, we t tend to, uh, yeah, end it. But it, it was, it was every, we, we, we just sort of knew in the family and, and afterwards I talked to Elizabeth's sister and, and she said, yeah, this was something they openly discussed. Um, and, and they'd made no, no bones about what they'd planned. Uh, when when the time came, and, and you know, let's just to be clear that they they were in failing health. Um, now, I, as far as I know, neither of them had a terminal illness as such, but they had various medical issues. Patrick was losing his hearing, his eyesight. He'd broken his arm. He'd become a bit decrepit. His wife. Um, the same way she had problems with her hips, uh, her memory was not too good. So for people who are really active, uh, you know, I think this was just difficult to bear. At the time of their uh, deaths, um, Patrick was... 89 years of age. Elizabeth was 80. And then at the inquest, uh, the coroner confirmed that their deaths had been caused by fatal drug overdoses. Patrick had worked as a pharmacist. Is that correct? That's right. His his father had been a pharmacist in, in Drogheda and Patrick had worked there and more recently um, at a couple of pharmacies in Dunleary, um, near where they lived. So, I mean, that was also sort of, you know, fitted into the whole scheme of things. We knew that they would have the means to end their lives if that's what they chose to do because of, of his profession and his his knowledge about, uh, you know, what, what basically what drugs they would need to take. I really want to talk to you now about Patrick and Elizabeth as a couple, as a husband and wife, as um, friends and relatives that were very, very dear to you, David. They really were an extraordinary couple in that they they had very, very exciting lives, didn't they? Well, they had they had exotic lives, slightly yes, unconventional lives, and that. They came from quite regular middle-class backgrounds, in in a sense. Uh, Elizabeth's father was was a doctor. His father, as I said, was a was a pharmacist. He grew up in Drogheda. She grew up in Dublin, and they met at a yacht club um, dance in Mornington, just near Drogheda, uh, when they were in their twenties, and. Patrick uh, invited her out flying. He had a pilot's license, and he 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 flew her down the Irish coast. And one thing led to another. Yeah, that's a very memorable first date, David. You know. Well, it's sort of in in my 
in my imagination, it sort of conjures up that, that scene in, in the film Out of Africa with Robert Redford and Meryl Streep in the biplane and flying over the lake with the flamingos in, in Kenya. Uh, this obviously wasn't <laughs> East Africa, but it was <laughs> it was flying down the Irish coast. Um, and they had they had pictures of, of themselves in their house. Uh, in the in in the plane and um and this is 1960s Ireland as well and uh, you know very uh, well educated people um Elizabeth um had a career as a um an art restorer she trained at the Slade School of Art in London and she she was a, a, an artist she she painted and some of her paintings were in the in their house, and I remember them from their house in Drauda, which I would have visited as a child, and then they were hanging on the walls later in, on in their cottage in Dunleary. And, and she had a, a little studio. They, they knocked through the, the, they managed to buy the cottage next door when it came up for sale in Dunleary, and then they n- knocked it through and they made one oh, sort of open plan property and she had a, a studio in the in the uh, other cottage uh, where she restored paintings and you know she worked for the national gallery and she had a lot of clients um, and you'd always see some sort of victorian portrait or seascape or something when you sitting on the easel when you when you went in there she was she was always busy on some project. The stories that they have are absolutely incredible. The stories that you tell, should I say, are incredible. It's all it's all very exotic as you said. Yeah, they w- but they weren't celebs and they they didn't hang out with the the sort of rich and famous. It it just it happened that Patrick's sister was was married to Alburn Gayburn's brother and that's how Gayburn came to be his his best man at his wedding in Donnybrook in 1964. Elizabeth trained at um, uh, art school in London, as I said, and she got to know Mick Fleetwood, who was the founder, or through his sister, I think. His um, he was the founder of the band Fleetwood Mac, and I was pretty impressed when when she said that. She just happened to mention in passing one day that she'd been staying with Mick Fleetwood in, in London. And, oh, yes, we always stay with, with Mick when we go over. And uh, so, yeah, she just sort of dropped these things into the conversation. But she wasn't making a big point about it. They were actually pretty private people. Um, they, they had friends they went skiing with or walking with. But they were really quite, um, in, in many ways, quite solitary. You know, they just... Did things with themselves. They'd go walking in Dunleary. They'd go cycling. He was a, a really keen cyclist, and uh, they'd do trips together. They lived on a boat on in the south of France, which is where I sort of first got to know them as friends rather than a, as relatives. When I was at at college um, in in the seventies and late seventies, and I uh, went off to teach English uh, at a school in France, and I had, I had a friend who who was at a 
another, we are doing a gap year at another school near me. And I said, oh, look, we should do a trip down to the south of France. And I've got cousins, we could maybe visit them. And we ended up staying on their boat. And that that's really when I first got to know them as friends. And yeah, we, we just really got on well. And I I thought, yeah, these these are it's great having cousins who are cool, you know what I mean? Because it's uh, they they were just definitely different and a bit bohemian uh, and there was yeah, there was something very appealing about their lifestyle. They didn't have children together and uh, I suppose in in some way my my family felt that this was slightly selfish of them. I don't know. That's just the way it was, I guess, in the in the in the seventies and eighties, and perhaps it was a bit unusual. But I, I you know, I think it was a, a choice on on their part, uh partly because of the lifestyle, but also because Elizabeth, and this is something I had heard mentioned, but only really learnt of properly after their deaths, that Elizabeth had grown up with a severely disabled brother. And I I think this really left, I know I know it left a mark on her and, and her sister. It's something I've since discussed with her sister. Uh, Elizabeth was was worried that there was some genetic uh, fault or something in the bloodline and that she was very uh, she was anxious that she she might pass it on if she had any children uh, that she might pass this on. So that was a, that was another factor. But um, it, it 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 meant that they could have a lifestyle that was a bit footloose and and fancy free, I suppose. So in that sense, they didn't have the same um, responsibilities that a, a lot of people had. They lived life and ended life on their own terms, David, and it brings us on to um, the discussions and debates uh, that we're hearing about more and more in relation to the right to die. Um, You know, you have to be very careful when talking about this particular issue. Um, For Patrick and Elizabeth, it was obviously something that wasn't taken lightly and... um, you know, they they did things their way. Um, But we have to be mindful that it is a very contentious and sensitive issue. Absolutely. And um, I wrote my piece in the the magazine as as a tribute to them. It was really a love story. uh, And it, it was about their lives. Obviously, you know, the deaths also touched a chord um, because of the way they chose to do things. Not not everyone could have done what they did or even would want to do what they did, but they, they had the means and that's that's what they chose. And I think certainly we in the family, we expected it somehow to happen but we respected it as well because that that was their choice, and um, they certainly weren't, you know, as far as I know, campaigners for assisted dying. And I didn't write my article um, 
as a as a campaign piece in any way. But um, I think it's something that, as you say, is is increasingly in people's consciousness as as an issue and that was something that also i think struck a chord with with readers uh they thought well you know a lot of a lot of people said that's it was very brave what they did um uh and i think a, a lot of people um felt that you know it wasn't necessarily the the path that they would choose but that they had they had done it on their own terms and and they and they kind of got that you know and family and friends gave elizabeth and Pat- patrick a really lovely send off can you talk to me about this yes yeah, so i i attended the funeral you know back in march 2020 in in dublin but it was just as the pandemic was was um starting to grip and um we had a we had a very there was a very nice service uh and with singing and people told stories and anecdotes about Patrick and Elizabeth but there was no sort of celebration or party afterwards or anything but we did finally manage to have a gathering with uh, family and friends uh last last september in dorky before the actual lunch where everyone got together to celebrate their lives we uh went out on the launch of a friend of theirs in went out in, into dublin bay with their ashes and and scattered them it was just a, it was a beautiful september day you could see the wicklow mountains the sea was was calm it it, it was just perfect and a group of us went out and uh, yeah it, it it was a fabulous way to to see them off um and as i say then we went back to dorky and and had a a really good a really good day uh, there were every table was had a had a, a picture of them um lots of different f- photographs showing them you know wherever uh, at uh, some of them were some of the pictures were taken on holidays some of them were at uh, family celebrations and so on and uh, that was that was really special so to be able to sort of remember them and and say goodbye to them that way that was david or relative and friend of patrick and elizabeth larkin who we remember in today's podcast I'm Siobhan Maguire and today's episode of the Indo-Daily was produced by myself, research by Tabitha Monaghan with sound design by John Smith. Now, if you enjoy the Indo-Daily, don't forget to like, follow and leave us a review and you can follow the Indo-Daily wherever you get your podcasts.